So uh, this past spring break, uh, we went to Disney World for the last time. Uh, so the next time that, uh, uh, that I might potentially go, the only time I might potentially go would be with my grandkids the next time, but it will be most likely that I pay for them to go and I don't actually go myself unless, unless um, I get to stay at the Polynesian and eat breakfast at Ohana every day. And they'll be like, where's granddad? He's, well, he's sitting over some more Mickey Mouse shaped waffles. He's in this happy place, right? But uh, you just sort of, every parent has to go to Disney. At some point, it's in the parenting contract. This is what you do as parents. You work really hard. You save lots of money so you can spend $20 on a mediocre piece of pizza while the soles of your feet are bowling because South Florida, Central Florida asphalt is approximately the temperature of the surface of the sun. It's all part of the experience. But we love it. But here's the thing when you go to Disney that you learn that there are two different kinds of people in the world, okay? So my family goes, and we're wearing like the most lightweight, you know, gear we can wear. We might wear our favorite sports team. My boys had on their high school football teams, you know, gear. Uh, I wore a mountaintop shirt one day just trying to advertise for a potential Florida campus. Um, you never know. You never know. And uh, it was so cool because spring break it was like all of Birmingham were there. We'd see somebody from like Helena, Homewood, Hoover, Vestavia. We kept seeing all the gear. So that's, there's that kind of group of people. That's just kind of who we are. And then there are, there's these groups of people, right? Now, I'm not judging. I just want you to know this. Like, I just, I'm just telling you I'm not in this group of people. There are the kinds of people who wear matching T-shirts, they are on another level of Disney fandom. Yeah, and some of you, hallelujah, praise God, to each his own, right? Uh, they, they are on another level of Disney fandom. These, I've known, I have dear friends that are in this group of people. The, some of them have season passes. They can count down the days and tell you exactly when the new Tron ride at Magic Kingdom is opening. They know Walt Disney's life story. Like they can give you, they can quote dates and big life experiences. They are, they are on another level. I am not in this group of people. I'm in a different group of people. I watch some Marvel movies and some Star Wars movies, and we've been to Disney a couple of times. But this folk, these folks are on another level. So the reason I, I ask you this is just thinking about that. When it comes to Jesus. Which group would you be in? Are you like me at Disney? Like you're, I mean, yeah. People are like, are you a Disney fan? I'd be like, well, I mean, yeah. I've been a couple times. I watch Marvel. I'll be watching Black Widow on July 9th. Not that I've got the date memorized or anything, but, but I mean, I, we don't have season passes. We, and I would tell people, like, we're not like matching T-shirt fans, but we're just sort of fans. And the reason that this is important is because this summer we're going to unpack a little bit what I think is a really important issue in the church and, and what I think has become um, a, a problem, particularly in the American church. And that is when it comes to Jesus, how would you describe yourself? Would you describe yourself as a believer? 
Like someone who believes the basic tenets of the faith, that Jesus died for your sins and for the sin of the world, that he was resurrected on the third day, physically, literally from the dead, to defeat the powers of sin and death, and that he'll one day come again, and that you can be forgiven because of him. I mean, that's a pretty basic, those are can I just tell you where if you're watching from home or on vacation or if you're here, those are really important things. It's a, those are important first steps. But you can be a believer and not be connected to a local church. You can be a believer and not be plugged into a community of faith. Are you just a believer? Are you a consumer? Like you believe some things and you some consume some Christian content. You listen to a few podcasts, maybe you read a devotional book every once in a while, maybe you, it's almost like binging Netflix, like you have seasons where you consume more Christian content, maybe around some Christian holidays, but you're, you're more than a believer, you actually consume some Christian stuff, or are you a weekender? Like, not, not only do you consume some Christian stuff, and do you believe that actually Jesus is a part of your weekends, and you make a effort to tune in every weekend online, no matter where you're watching from or you come to church. And Jesus is a part of your weekend. And, and I mean, that's a good habit. That's a good routine. But maybe Jesus doesn't have much impact beyond Sundays at around noon. Or are you a member? Oh, man, this used to be a big deal back in the day. Right, I want to be a member of the church, and it is an important step. I mean, that we make a commitment, a covenant with the fellowship, with the group of believers, that we become a member of the church. Your name is on the roll. Maybe you've been to our Connect class, and you've taken a step beyond, or maybe even you're a producer, and you actually produce ministry. Like, maybe you serve and you make ministry happen. You volunteer at VBS. You, you give some money. And just like Ben talked about earlier this morning, that you are helping make justice happen in our community through your giving to Mountaintop. You produce some, maybe this even goes to becoming a staff member, or maybe you can even become a, a pastor. Those are all good things. But here, here's my concern, is that, in the American church, we have tied, we have tied faith up into all of these things which basically tied our faith up into our involvement in the local church. And I love the local church. I hope you know that. I have given my life to serve the local church. But we have often tied up our faith into just do we serve, do we give, do we, are we a part of it, are we members of the church, and not that any of those things are important. But here's what I hope and what I want for you and what we're going to be talking about all summer long is what would it mean for you and me to not just be these things, but to be a follower. That we follow Jesus every moment of our lives, every single day of our lives, that we literally follow him, his life, his teachings, his way. And the reason that this is so important is because 13 times in the Gospels, Jesus himself, in the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that detail his life, Jesus didn't say, believe in me or consume me or produce some ministry for me. Jesus looked eyeball to eyeball with people from all walks of life and he said these two words. You know what he said? Follow me. Follow.
I want you to follow me. And can I just tell you why we believe this is so important? Because we believe Jesus is worth following. You see, we believe all those things I talked about, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that because of Jesus, that I am justified before God, and everything that I've ever done and every mistake that I will ever make that is forgiven, that I stand before my Heavenly Father pure and whole and clean and righteous, not by what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done for me, because he has paid the penalty for my sins, and his resurrection not only secures my eternity with my heavenly father he gives me the power to defeat sin and de death in my life that I have victory over sin if I can tap into his spirit living in me he has done all that for me he is worth following and I want you to know, I want, listen, we're going to talk this summer about serving. We're going to talk about how do we grow in generosity. We're going to talk about how do we grow in our study of the scriptures. And it's all, but it's all around one thing. It's not just about involvement in the local church. It is about us growing as followers every single day of our lives. At Mountaintop, that's what we're trying to do. Equip people to become followers of Jesus. So this summer is about training us to be followers. Uh, it, we're even teaching some workshops, some three-week workshops in July that I hope you'll come to on Wednesday night, uh, digging deeper into a couple of these, uh, and a couple of these marks of a follower of Jesus. We want you to be a follower. I want to be a follower. Early Christianity wasn't even called Christianity. Did you know that? It was called the way, the way. And Christians weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. And it was the way of Jesus. Because Jesus has a way that he acts, a way that he thinks, a way that he speaks, a way that he loves, a way that he cares. So really, this is our summer to dig into seven of these. We've identified seven marks of a follower of Jesus. Can I just tell you, these are not exhaustive. These are, not, these are not the only ones, but I think these are the ones that if you see the evidence of them in someone's life, you look at them and you say, yep, that's a follower of Jesus. There is something different of that. That is not just someone that is a weekender. That, that, is, that is not someone that's just a believer. This is active. These marks are integrated into our daily lives. So this is a season to dig in deeper with Jesus. This summer is not a season for us to check out, but to dig deeper in. And today, we're going to talk about the first of those, and that is that followers of Jesus are people who pray fervently. Pray. We're going to talk about prayer. And I don't know where you're at with prayer. I don't know uh, how much prayer is a part of your life. Maybe it's something you've struggled with. Maybe it's something you've tried to figure out how to do. But we believe that Jesus' followers pray fervently, passionately, passionately, radically, intensely, relentlessly, enthusiastically. Prayer is not just something that pastors do. And prayer is not just uh, something we do before we nod off to sleep or sing some memorized words that we've been saying since childhood. And nothing, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But prayer is something deeper. Here's the thing I believe about prayer before we dig into the scripture. Prayer is a superpower. Prayer is a superpower. 
Through prayer, God has given us access to a supernatural God to work in supernatural ways in our regular little world. We are talking to the God who spoke the mountains into existence, who spoke the seas into being, who breathed life into every living being, and we are asking him to move in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in our health. I mean, can you just imagine that kind of power, the power that raised is life from the dead God has given us access to through prayer. I mean, Thor or Superman or Captain Marvel or Luke or Ray Skywalker would kill for that power. This is real superpower. This isn't a fairy tale movie. This is, we are tapping into super, it is a superpower. And I don't know about you, but I've got some places in my life I need the supernatural. And prayer's the only way we access it. The second thing is this. And you're going to see this in this story Jesus talks about. Prayer works. Prayer works. Sometimes we wonder, does it really make a difference? I mean, does it really matter? Can it really make a dent in reality? And Jesus seems to say through this story that we're going to read, absolutely. Jesus seems to say, God is listening. God is waiting on his children to prayer. This, is, this story is such a unique picture of prayer, and it is immediately the one that I think about when I think about what it means to pray fervently. It shows us that you don't have to have a degree to pray. You don't have to have a position of influence or power to pray. You don't have to have special words or special language to pray. Jesus seems to say that the most important characteristic is that we pray fervently, relentlessly, passionately. Now, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 18. So if you want to open your Bibles there, you've got your app open in your phone, or if you're at home, maybe on your back porch, maybe you're on vacation and watching, we're so grateful. If you don't have a hard copy Bible, grab one on the bookshelves when you leave. We're going to be in Luke 18. Uh, and before we dig into that, I want to tell you about how we're praying fervently as a church. Now, one of the things we're doing together is every third Thursday, we have a day of prayer and fasting once a month on the third Thursday of every month. And that comes up this Thursday. And we invite our whole church to fast. You can fast from food, maybe fast from solid foods, maybe you fast from meat, or maybe you just fast one meal. Uh, maybe you fast media or technology. And we enter into a season uh, to a day of fasting and an attitude of prayer. And then we invite anyone and everyone to gather at 6.30 in the atrium. Our elders are there. Uh, our uh, leadership staff team is there. And uh, usually a handful of others. And because we want to be praying fervently as a church, what if 30 or 40 or 50 or 70 or 300 of us showed up and just said once a month we are going to pray fervently together as a church? We want to invite you. We want you to know that this is such an important value in our church, in the life of what we believe it means to be a follower, that we have put it on the calendar once a month to gather as a body to do this. And I want to invite you to do it. So in verse 1 of chapter 18, Luke actually gives us a preface to what this story is going to be about. And that's, I'm grateful for that because often Jesus tells parables, and at the end of it, you're kind of scratching your head like, huh? What'd that mean? In fact, there's a lot of instances in the Gospels where Jesus has to go back and tell his disciples what he meant by what he was saying. But Luke, in this one, he gives us the preface 
of what this whole story is, little short story is going to be about. This is what it says in Luke <laughs> chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And that's important because what Luke is saying is that this is a story that isn't really about prayer at first. Like when you're hearing the story, Jesus isn't talking about someone praying. It's a parable. It's a story to talk about the idea of what prayer looks like in heaven here on earth. And he says that the reason I'm telling you this is because this is a message, a story to teach you that we should always pray and that we should never, never, never give up. So then Jesus goes into the story in verse 2. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. So he is setting things up for later on in the story. But the short story is this, this is not a good dude. This is not a good dude. This is not a good man. This is a man who doesn't even fear God, and he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what God thinks. He don't care what you think. He just cares what he thinks. I mean, this is a very self-centered, selfish man. Jesus wants to set that up. There's, there's going to be two characters in the story, and the first one is a very self-centered man in a very strong position of power. And the second one is this. And there was a widow in that town. Jesus could not have picked two people in their culture farther apart in, in their status. A widow in, in their culture in Israel at the time had almost no social status, no political power. They were in about the lowest position that you could possibly be. Now, Jesus turned this on his head all the time when he told believers that they were, should, should care for widows. But everyone listening to the story would have known Jesus is talking about someone who doesn't have means to make any money. He's talking about someone who, uh, who has no, uh, no oomph when they speak up. Someone who has just no position, no authority, no influence, no power. And I believe Jesus did this on purpose because the point Jesus wants to make in this story is this. Is that the prayer isn't as important as the prayer. The prayer isn't as important as the prayer. Do you get it? Who's praying not as is not as important as, as the prayer. You don't have to have a position of authority or leadership. You don't have to have power. You don't have to have influence. I'm always honored. I'm always honored when people ask me to pray for their family members, for their friends, for your neighbors. And I want you to know that if you ask me to do that, I, I always try to do that. If you ask me at church on a Sunday morning, we're going to probably pray right then and there in the hallway. And we're, we're going to knock it out and uh, go to the Lord right then because I want to be praying uh, for you. But uh, listen, can I just tell you something? And I don't know if a pastor has, has ever told you this, but we don't have a special hotline. Okay. They don't give us a secret red bat phone in seminary <laughs> to call. Like, we, we don't have a hotline. My prayers mean the same thing as your prayers. We're all on equal footing at the foot of the cross. I mean, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. And your prayers, it doesn't matter if you say, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't know the words or I don't have a lot of biblical training. I just want you to know we are equal standing 
the prayer isn't as important as the prayer. Jesus wants to, seems to say this because he wants to show the power a widow can have, not because of her influence or her position, but because of her fervor. This is how the next line he says. And there was a widow in that town, we read that, who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. She just kept coming. And listen, she, she's asking for something noble. She's asking for uh, justice. It's something that she can't grant herself. It's something that only the judge has the power to grant. Jesus is kind of showing us there a little bit that when we are to come to God in prayer, we should be coming to God for prayer for things that only he can grant. But the key part there is that she just keeps showing up. She just keeps coming. She just keeps walking in his door and knocking and saying, hey, I want to talk to you again about justice. I kind of imagine it something like this. Lewis, Lewis, mom, 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 mommy, 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 mama, 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 ma, 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 mom, 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 mommy. Mommy, mama, mama, mama. What? Hi. <laughs> if you've had toddlers before, you, you know that feeling. That's the way I want to be with God. God, I'm here again. Lord, I'm here again. God, it's me again. Heavenly Father, it's me again. Lord, it's me again. Almighty God, it's me again. God, I'm here again. She just keeps showing up. But then there's a line that Luke writes that Jesus said that makes me very uncomfortable. And I wish it wasn't there. Because I don't want it to be true. But I know it is because I've experienced it. And I bet you have too. For some time, he refused. I wish I hadn't read that. I wish that wasn't true. But you know it is. Because sometimes, how long is it? Was it days? Was it weeks? Was it years? Was it a decade? You've lived in that space, haven't you? We all have. When it's hard to trust. When it's hard to believe what we're saying, that he's in the waiting. Have you ever been in a season where for some time he refused? For some time it seemed that God was saying, not now. Maybe right now you're in a season where for some time it seems like he's refusing. And can I just say something about that? Can I just say something about those seasons? Can I just say something about that waiting? It's so hard. 
It's so hard to keep praying and keep coming before God when it seems like God is saying not yet. It's so hard to keep trusting when it seems like God has said no. It's hard to keep saying, God, it's me again. Listen to what Jesus says in the story. But he finally said to himself, this evil, wicked, selfish judge, he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, even though I'm basically a bad person, even though I could give a rip what God thinks about me or what other people think about me, basically even though I have no values, yet because the reason, the cause of this, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Because she keeps bothering me, I'm going to answer her request. Now, the, the word for because, I mean, for a bothering me isn't really just like, it's not about pestering. It, it's about, uh, it, it's the word in, in Greek is parecho. And it's in the New Testament about 16 times, and it, it usually is translated to give or to offer or to show. And what he's saying is because not just because she's bothering me, because she's pestering me, that's coming in a minute. It, it's because she just keeps showing up. She just keeps showing up at my door. She just keeps showing up before the judge's bench. She just keeps showing up. And brother and sister, can I tell you, no matter what's going on in your life or how much you've prayed or how much you're digging in or how much it seems God has said not yet or even no, can I just give you an encouragement? Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. And then he says, because she just, this woman keeps showing up and he when he says this, that she will attack me, I don't think he's worried that she's going to beat him up, okay? The word in Greek that he uses here for attack is hupopiazzo, and it means to wear out or to give an intolerable, intolerable annoyance. I love that. Translation, this woman is going to show up so much and keep showing up, she is going to drive me bonkers, so I'm just finally going to give her what she wants. What if we decided to wear God out with prayer? What, what are you praying for? What are we praying for? On Thursday nights of the third Thursday, we gather and we pray for revival in Birmingham, for God to reach thousands of people for Jesus, for the spiritual temperature of Birmingham to be raised, for us to need so many new churches to fit all the people because all the current churches are full because people are coming to Christ. What if we just prayed it so much that God said, I got to do it because those Birmingham people are driving me crazy. They just keep showing up. They just keep praying. What are you praying for? Or have you given up or would you just keep showing up? And then this is the end of the story. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. What Jesus said, did you, Jesus is, he's telling everybody, listen to the story there, his disciples. 
Did you hear what the unjust just said? Did you hear what the guy who doesn't fear God and doesn't care what people think? Do you hear what the bad dude says? That if you can turn, if you can turn the corner, if you can turn the heart, if you can turn the mind, if you can turn the spirit of an unjust judge just by continuing to show up, then listen to what Jesus says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? If an unjust judge responds, then he says this, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. If an unjust judge turns his heart and his spirit, how much more will your heavenly father in whose image you were made and who loves you and cares for you, how much more will he be listening for his children who are crying out day and night? And then Jesus closes with a question. And I want to close out with a question. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If Jesus showed up today, would he find people that just keep showing up or people that have given up? And I just think we give up too easy. I just think we don't get it quickly or, or God seems to tell us to wait or we don't get the answer we want or God says no and we just give up. And what if we decided not to give up but to get busy praying? What if we decided not to give up but to show up again and again and again? And the reason that I think it matters is that Jesus says when the Son of Man comes, he's looking for some faith. He's looking for some people who will keep digging in and keep going deeper and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Because you never know, you never know what one more prayer might do to the heart of God. And that's the question I want to leave with you. Is what if one more prayer makes all the difference? Some of you have been praying about something, a relationship, a job, a healing. Some of you have been praying about something you're going through. Some of you have been praying about something happening in your family. Some of you have been praying about uh, a brokenness in, with an adult child. Some of you have been praying. And listen, what I just want to ask you is, how do you not know that the 128th prayer after 127 is going to be the one that makes all the difference? What if one more prayer? I know that it can make all the difference. When I was in college, my prayers centered around two things, ministry and marriage. Uh, I was struggling with the call to ministry, and I really um, did not want to do ministry alone. And at the time that I was really beginning to discern a call to ministry of what God wanted me to do. I, I was like, God, I'll do something cool like youth ministry or music, but do I have to be a preacher? I was in a relationship that I was praying would lead toward marriage. But she wasn't so sure that she wanted to be in a ministry relationship. 
I was praying for both of those. I was praying for that relationship to, I was praying for her to, to really basically fall in love with me and I was praying for God to give me clarity about my ministry and I, I'll never forget that when I prayed the prayer to just say, okay, Lord, I knew God was tugging on my heart. Okay, God, I'll go to seminary and I'll not just be something cool in ministry. <laughs> I'll be a preacher if you want me to. And Lord, I remember praying this prayer, even if you want me to be single and do that, I'll do it. Well, a few months later, that relationship just kind of broke off, but I still felt like she was supposed to be the one that I was to marry. And I prayed and prayed. I, I dated a few different girls, and, uh, and, but always in the back of my mind, I could go through my journal, and I was really praying about her. I was praying that things would turn. We kept in touch a little bit. It wasn't a bad breakup, and about 18 months after that, uh, just about a half of six months before I was to go to seminary, we began to talk again. And I began to feel like the Lord was opening up a door for this relationship. And, and I was praying so fervently about this. And I was praying so hard. And, and we kind of reached a point where we were going to give it a go in, in a relationship. She was looking at grad schools, and, and I drove her to, uh, to look at a few different grad schools. And I had a friend of a friend from our campus ministry, from my campus ministry, who lived in the area, and we stayed at their house, and I, I slept on their couch. She was in their guest bedroom, and they were gracious hosts. And while we were there for like two or three nights, we were, we were spending time together during the day trying to figure out if the Lord was leading us this way. One night, they, they all invited me to go to a revival service that their church was having. And uh, she had some schoolwork to do, but I, I decided to go with them. And listen, they went to a different kind of church than what I was used to. They were, they were like highly charismatic Pentecostal. And they had people, they invited people to an altar call up at the end uh, to speak prophetic words over people. Listen, I was a Southern Baptist boy about to be a United Methodist pastor. This was not my way, okay? They were speaking prophetic words. People were falling out. And I felt an urge from the Holy Spirit to get up and go. And I, and I went to this this woman who was one of the pastors there, and, and I said, I, I, I'm in this relationship that we're back in again, and I, I feel like I, I, we're supposed to get married, and I should be pursuing this, and I just want to know if the Lord, if this is the right one. And, uh, and people were getting prophetic words, and I was just like, I just wanted a yes or no, you know? <laughs> and uh, she prays over me, and at the end of our prayer, she looks at me, and she said, I, I'm sorry, I just don't have clarity from the Holy Spirit for you about this relationship and I was like shoot and I went home with these strangers and we all said good night and I was in their living room sitting on their couch and I was writing in my journal and I was praying one more time Lord just reveal to me is this the right one is this what I'm supposed to do and I had this little Bible, this little FCA Bible I had taken with me on a trip, and I, I, was, I read the word before I went to bed, and I don't know why, I stuck the Bible under my pillow. And I woke up the next morning, and the Lord had said something to my heart. The Lord had said, you're supposed to marry a woman named Emily. Um, the girl I was with was not named Emily. But about 10 days later, 
My great aunt sent me a letter inviting me to visit her because she had a longtime friend coming to visit her and her granddaughter Emily was driving. And she wanted to know if I'd come meet her. And I said, yes, ma'am. This is the first time I've ever told that story in a message because it feels like magic. And listen, please don't go home tonight and like put your Bible under your pillow and none of that stuff hasn't happened a lot in my life. But here's what I want to tell you. It wasn't that prayer. That was after three years and hundreds of prayers. But it was one more prayer. What if one more prayer? makes all the difference. You're going to be given one of these uh, when you come out. And it's a, it's a place, a prayer journal. One of the things I do is I write my prayers in my journal. And I want to just invite you to pray over some things and write them down. And I want to ask you to pray for two things. Number one, I just want you for the rest of the summer, this goes through July 1, write something down that you're praying for, and I just want you to just wear God out with it. I don't know if it's a relationship, a health thing, a job thing, a calling thing, and I just want you to write it down, write it down, circle it, get detailed about it. And I want you to pray for one person in Birmingham that doesn't know Jesus. We're believing God to do some incredible things this August as we kick back off. But it is not just about a bunch of people coming here. It is about a bunch of people in our lives coming to Christ. And I want you to pray for them all summer long, every single day. What if one more prayer makes all the difference? This morning, this place is open. We're going to close with a song called Do It Again. And I'll bet you've seen God move in your life. And I want to invite you today to say, Lord, I'm coming one more time to ask you to do it again. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we get to come before you in prayer. Lord, we don't always know the right words. Sometimes all we can do is weep in your presence. Sometimes all we can do is mumble the same words we've said over and over, God. But we come before you. We're going to pray with passion, with vigor, with fervent prayer, God. We love you. We trust you even when you say not yet. But we're going to be people who believe that one more prayer can make all the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand as we sing?